Hey everybody, this is Alex, and I just want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. Do they say tuning in for podcasts? I mean, it's not like radio. I I feel like radio, though, so I'm just going to start using radio terms. I think I probably have been all along. Uh, Okay, well, this is the Porter Notes podcast. Let's get started. This is Alex, and once again, it is a new episode of the Porter Notes podcast. This is another part of the series that we have ongoing, which is Faith in Modern Times. And in this, I have a conversation with Mado Moore for the Karinji Rinzai Zen community, which is an awesome Buddhist retreat just outside of Reedsburg, Wisconsin. So if you have the opportunity, check it out. It's K-O-R-I-N-J-I dot O-R-G. And there is a link to their Patreon page. And you can go ahead and check out some of the videos that they have uploaded. They're making a lot of those free right now. Normally you'd have to be a, a patron in order to view them. So that's really cool of him for doing that sort of thing. So take the opportunity and check that out if you can. And speaking of Patreon, we have a lot of really cool stuff going on on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash porternotes. You can check that out. I've put up a new video series, which is 30-second sound bites. And the 30-second sound bites are just a little snippet of some of the previous interviews and podcast episodes that we've done and I've also made some for some upcoming ones that uh, that you haven't heard like this one here so they're going to post weekly I think they post on Tuesday nights and it's just a little fun thing that we're doing to kind of keep relevant in terms of the podcast but there are a lot of benefits to being a supporter of the podcast so please go to our patreon page and check that out this interview with Mado was a good one, and it was one of the first ones I've ever had with somebody I, I didn't know prior, and I really feel good about what you're going to hear. So after this, there is the wrap-up between Lori and I, so please stick around and, and check that out as well. So please enjoy this interview with Mado Moore from the Karinji Rinzai Zen community. India was my junior in school, okay, in college, and I was a religious studies major. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I was doing there was a uh, Buddhist studies program that was based in Bodh Gaya, which is a famous 
town in India connected to the Buddha's life. Okay. And uh, during that time, yeah, I was living in a monastery for four months and had a chance to train with some, what I recognize later, were some rather eminent teachers. So really, really fortunate hmm. opportunity, yeah. But it wasn't until after that that I did, or I met my, who would become my Zen teacher mm -hmm. and went into that more intensive residential training. When did you actually graduate um, out, of, out of training? When did that happen? I mean, in some sense, we never graduated out of training. Right? Okay. Uh, and I'm still training now, mm -hmm. um, even though I have a teaching role. But um, so I came to Chicago in 1990 to train with a teacher who was a Japanese uh, Zen master. Okay. Uh, he had emigrated to Chicago in mm -hmm. 1974 and had uh, established a, a training hall there. Uh, so I came from Ch uh, to Chicago in 1990 right after I got out of school to be okay. with him. And I lived for a total of seven years with him in his training hall. So that was my intensive residential practice. Mm. Uh, and uh, after I sort of got out of that residential situation, I continued to uh, be associated with him and actually to, to work for him promoting Japanese cultural activities and, and Zen training uh, internationally. Uh, and during that time is when we identified the need for a more rural proper monastic establishment, and that's mm -hmm. what we have here near Reedsburg. That was established around 2018, <clears throat> correct? So uh, we purchased land in 2008 mm -hmm. after five years of search, um, so quite, quite a long period going up to it. And then we began construction in 2009, the, the meditation hall. The first building was completed 2013, and then 2017, the residence. So it's been in stages. Okay. So I'll say 2017. Yeah. So during that time period, as things were were being constructed, were you living there yourself? No, I was going back and forth from Chicago and then from Madison. So <laughs> in, in steps, I was able to get myself closer to here. Well, uh, Lori has relatives who are in Boston, and we were traveling from Boston fairly recently and and taking a photo of something, and it came up as uh, a location to tag. <laughs> Really? So, uh, and I'll apologize if I mispronounce it, Rinzai? Rinzai Zen, yeah. Yep. So that's what came up as a location to tag. So if you huh. have people who are coming there to study perhaps or to to meditate or something, maybe they're, maybe they're tagging the place. Could be. It came up that way. And uh, my interest was piqued. I, th I thought, my goodness, I'm, I'm sure this is, this is something that not a lot of people in the area are aware of. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm perhaps just not traveling in the right circles for that sort of thing. But as I started to formulate this idea of speaking with people in regards to this series, I think I'm going to call it Faith in Modern Times. Mm -hmm. And it really seemed as though it would make more sense to me. This is middle America. I've been talking to Christian pastors. It would make sense for me to try and expand that to include other other philosophies, other belief structures. Mm -hmm. And so that was how it was. I had decided that I would get in touch with you. That's wonderful. I really appreciate it. Very random. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Very we, random. We would say that's karma. <laughs> I guess, yeah, that, that would probably be it. And and I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful that you came here to, to talk my, with me today. Really my pleasure. For the listeners out there, and as, as you can tell, Mato, this is not a, a live broadcast uh, give them just a little bit of of who you are how you came to to be in the position that you're in mm -hmm. with the monastery and and a little bit about uh about who they're listening to today well i mean i, I don't know how interesting i am um just a guy from new jersey um you know i grew up in uh, a solidly upper middle class family and but from an early age i had an interest in uh, philosophy religion of all kinds i was a religious studies major eventually in school mm. 
And I was drawn to Buddhism from a very early age, so that led me to pursue uh, sort of the active or, or, or training element of Buddhist practice, which is meditation training. I also had a background in Asian martial arts, Japanese martial arts training, which has some historical connectivity with that. Um, so th all of those things came together and eventually led me to connect with a particular lineage of Japanese teachers, uh, Japanese Zen masters, who had who, whose lineage had been transmitted to the West through a temple in Hawaii and then to Chicago, so middle America. And uh, as an East Coaster, I didn't know anything about the Midwest, um, but I jumped on a train and came out here after school and, and started training with him and did residential practice with him. And uh, slowly over time, uh, deepening my own meditation practice as well as the martial arts training I was doing, which actually was my profession for some decades, mm. um, we decided that we needed to establish a true Zen Buddhist monastery somewhere here in the upper Midwest um, as a place where people could come to do intensive spiritual training of that kind. And, uh, you know, purposefully in a place that maybe wasn't familiar with it or used to it. We mm. wanted to be in a beautiful place, which is what this is, you know, in Sauk County, Wisconsin. It's absolutely gorgeous. Sure. Uh, but we wanted to be in a place where we could uh, uh, do the kind of training we want to do in that rural environment, but also not too far out. You know, I like being six, seven miles north of Reedsburg and being able to connect with the community and the businesses here. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's kind of how we focused in on this this region for its geographical beauty, its nature but also the people. And, you know, people in Wisconsin are famously friendly and, and we've been very well received. So long story short, um, I'm a guy who followed a path that led me into a very deep spiritual practice. But in terms of my location, it somehow led me to Reedsburg, Wisconsin. <laughs> and I don't, I feel like both of those things are very fortunate. Well, I'm glad to hear that, that you've found some good reasons to be here in Wisconsin. Yeah. I think that for us, we moved here in 1987, and we we are multiple generation Chicago folks. We also fell in love with with the beauty here. Now, when you lived in New Jersey, were you in an urban environment there as well? No, actually, for uh, most of my childhood, second half of my childhood, up through uh, even now, where my folks live, uh, is in southern New Jersey, an area called the Pine Barrens, which is um, it's actually a wilderness area the size of Yellowstone. Oh wow! Which a lot of folks don't know about, but. Mm. Um, very interesting and, and beautiful place, but uh, Wisconsin has its own charm, too. It does. It, it, it truly does. We we joke around about it now. We've been here for 30 years, and we joke around about the fact that we used to come here on vacation. This was our vacation spot, and we, we that's what we made it out to be. It was a full-time vacation, although, that yeah, of course, life gets in, in there, right? But we probably should have tried it out here in the winter at least once <laughs> before we decided to make that well, leap. Chicago's not that different. No, it's not. But my goodness, it, it sure does seem to linger here. In Chicago, you will get snow and you will get cold. There's no doubt about it. But because of the, the just inherent warmth of the concrete and the asphalt, it doesn't really, it gets slushy and yep. it's nasty and your feet get wet walking around in it. But man, it gets cold up here. And uh, you know this, I'm sure, that there's probably a solid nine months out of the year where there's the risk of snow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we joke because we always have a first major retreat. We do week-long retreats. Uh, often it's the end of April, mm -hmm. and every single year there's been the final snowstorm of the year. has been the <laughs> last week of April, so it's a running joke with us now. Yeah. So people who come and, and stay there, mm. and they, they choose this monastic lifestyle for 
how long is it a stay generally? Is there is there a time period that's that's right. normal, or is that just different per person? You know, it's it, it depends on the person, and, and we kind of have two functions. One is that we are a, a traditional monastic center, so we have people who will come to stay for a period of months to years hmm. uh, to do that traditional. Uh, immersive training and also training for uh, ordination in our tradition. So, for example, right now there's a woman from Germany who's been there for a few years uh, from Berlin uh, Mm. who was interested and actually did ordain in our tradition and is receiving that formal training. So that's one side of it. We we provide that, you know, we're we're a monastery. We we provide monastic or cloistered contemplative practice for those few people who can commit to it long term. But the other side of it is that that the monastery serves as sort of the spiritual center for a larger community. Hmm. Uh, We have groups in Madison, um, around the United States, in Europe. So those are lay people, normal folks, Mm -hmm. who get benefit from meditation practice and will come to us periodically as they can to attend retreats, seminars, special events, or just to come for a few days and, and be in a different environment where they can focus on their inner self and their inner spirituality. So we're, we're happy to provide both of those, both for the people who live there, but we're also kind of a center for people who don't live there hmm. but can get benefit from coming to visit. Interesting. So yeah. you'll have people from, from all over the Midwest, all over the world. That's right. That's right. It's different for every person. Yeah, I think it must be. Um, I mean, I think at the base... Buddhist practice, whether it's monastic or as a lay person, addresses that basic human existential question of meaning the way that many religious traditions do. Hmm. Um, So people who come in there are looking for answers. Uh, Why is my life the way it is? Why is there suffering? Um, How can I be a better person, a more compassionate person, more wise? All of those things. Uh, And the practice addresses those. that being said, everyone is different. Everyone has their kind of own unique situation. So meditation practice is done in communication with a teacher who helps you to look at those things. Uh, you know, I wouldn't call it therapy. It's very different from something like therapy. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the relationship with the teacher is really important. Uh, how we use the meditation practice for each individual to kind of dissolve our unique kinds of ignorance mm-hmm. or, sure. or, yeah, or habit, um, mm-hmm. that's a really dynamic part of the practice, too. It's not the same for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if somebody comes and they have question, they have questions, and and they're wanting to, what sounds like essentially break down their ego. Do you guide them with that, or do you help them with ways in which they can guide themselves through that? How does that work? Well, first of all, I would say break down the ego might not be the way I would say it. Okay. In that you know, a healthy ego is important. Healthy sense of self and boundaries is important. And I don't want to meet someone who doesn't have a healthy <laughs> ego, right? It's very difficult. But to see through the ego, or I should say to have a perspective that is much less self-centered, self-absorbed, mm. self-fixated, that doesn't see everything through the lens of I, I, I. That, sure. That's the basic thrust of Buddhist practice is to see through that illusion of this this solid self that we sometimes have. Um, so, so that's important sort of mission for everyone who does this Mm. practice. But again, the people who come up, um, each of them has their own ways to express that sort of self-fixation, or each Mm -hmm. of us has our own demons, if you will. Sure, sure. The practice is flexible enough that we can kind of work on that with everybody. Um, Meditation practice itself is a practice. Mm -hmm. It's, It's something that has identifiable effects on the mind and the body. And as someone gets into it and does it, we can see from what's happening with them uh, whether the practice is coming to fruition or not. How do we sort of nudge it in the right direction, keep them on track, and and help them to further deepen that? So, yeah, again, it's very individual for everyone, but I would say the general direction of the path is the same. 
and it arrives at a place finally that I think all religions arrive at ultimately, which is a place of truly deep wisdom and a place of uh, stepping outside oneself and realizing a genuine compassion for others. Um, when we get to that level of the training, doesn't matter what faith tradition someone's coming from, we start talking the same language. What is your role in that process? So I am the, the abbot of the monastery. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a Zen teacher, which means that I'm the person who is actually responsible for each individual to help them craft their their practice mm -hmm. or to help them troubleshoot problems that arise um, just to walk with them or be with them through that process of the training. Again, they have to do the work themselves, but sure. they're doing it with guidance from me. And I'm the one who will prescribe different meditation methods for them, depending on what their their conditions or situation are. So do you do a, a, like a pre-interview with, with, with people who are interested? Yeah. Is that how it works? Yeah. I mean, before someone would become my formal student, mm -hmm. um, they, will, they will learn a basic foundational practice with us. Um, uh, for example, in this area, we have uh, a group in Madison where many people come in from, uh, you know, through there. Mm -hmm. We also have at the monastery several times a year what we call an intro to Zen day where anyone can come in. It's like an open house and I give basic meditation instruction. So we have those kind of uh, you know, gateways. And someone could learn some basic meditation during one of those sure. things that will benefit them, even if they never come back. We, we send them out the door with something that can help their lives. But then if they start coming back and they want to go deeper in it, and I start to get to know them a little bit, I wouldn't call it an interview process, but I would say there starts to be a familiarity and a trust that builds. Hmm. And then at some point, if they feel they like to commit to the Zen path or to the Buddhist practice, then there is a formal way to do that. It's a ceremony. It takes five minutes. Mm. After that, they have the same problems they had before. <laughs> but, but you're not washing away their no. sins and transgressions. No, no. There's still a lot of work to do. <laughs> the scrubbing takes longer than that. <laughs> but that's the moment we could start to work together. Yeah. For this series, this podcast series, generally my interviews are are improvisational. Mm -hmm. I do a little bit of research uh, as best I can. And no, that's a straight up lie. Not as best I can. I do a little bit of research. <laughs> <laughs> I could always do better. But for this particular series, I, I have crafted uh, a, a number of questions. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't generally do that sort of thing. But um, I, I, what I want to be able to do is I want to be able to have the different perspectives in answers to these questions. And I apologize if, if these seem vague but hopefully we can we can work through that sort of thing and 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 the focus of which is just during trying times and i know that many generations might feel as though their their times are hard i am a a, a firm believer that there is no such thing as good old days i i think that for as many times as americans anyway can look back there's there's always something that we have improved upon there's always room for more but I believe that that right now, in in many different ways, there's there's some really good things happening. The opposite side of that, of course, is there are some not so good things happening as well. And being as most people technologically are interconnected at this point, there's this sense of scientifically speaking, I'm no scientist the the universe abhors a vacuum and wants to fill it however a vacuum is very attractive right so negativity has this ability to just draw people in and there's a lot of it recently in an interview i had said that there's there's plenty of bad news if you want to look for it 
the process here that I'd like to to work through with these interviews is, you know, what advice, what practices, what are the things that each individual person which I, I, I have these interviews, what do you do to not let that pull you down? And what can other people do to not let that pull them down also? Mm-hmm. So in order to, I think, cover some things, I've 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 drafted some questions. And then this way, there's just kind of a, well, Mado said this and Sonny said that. And eventually I'd like to do a wrap up of this thing. So if you don't mind, it gets a little sterile sometimes when I get into the questions. But um, you touched on this a little bit. But if you could elaborate a little more, you said that you had, as a child, you had an interest in various religious philosophies. And Mm -hmm. and when did you decide that Buddhism is, is the path that you wanted to to take uh, quite early and I have no explanation for it really honestly um, I would say by fifth grade sixth grade I was reading Buddhist stuff I mean I know how I arrived at it um, I was reading literature American literature uh, Emerson and the transcendentalists who were influenced somewhat by uh, Hindu and Buddhist writings um, so maybe that's how I first read something but I would say by that age I was reading the stuff pretty hardcore and knew that it was attractive to me and uh, I had an experience when I was young, too, um, not to make a big deal out of it, it sounds dramatic, but uh, we lived in a rural area, and mm-hmm. I, w- I would go out uh, to this one particular field pretty often to walk, because I loved the place. And uh, one spring, as there often is uh, many places, uh, there was a dead deer carcass. Sure. And I would revisit that as I was walking uh, my daily walks. And I had the experience of watching this carcass go away mm-hmm. over the period of a few weeks, as they do, right? You know, the... The hair started to slip, the body decayed. Eventually, there were just some bones left, eventually nothing. Sure. So that was a real visceral experience in front of my eyes of transience and, and the, the way that life passes away, that nothing's permanent, which, of course, is a core Buddhist teaching. It's, it's kind of the base realization that we start from, that common sense recognition that everything we think is solid and permanent, including so-called I, just isn't, and that a lot of our suffering comes from not facing that fact. Hmm. Uh, so young age, I had that kind of strong sense of mortality or urgency or wanting to use my life uh, to find out what life is about. And I think that funneled me pretty strongly into Buddhism, which is a, a, a spiritual approach or an approach to spirituality, which starts from that same place. Were you able to have conversations with anyone at home regarding this? Mm. Parent, a relative, some way in which you could say, I have questions. I mean, fifth grade, you say? Yeah, that's yep. it's ten years old, right? That's, yeah, uh, that's pretty young. Yeah, I was a weird kid. <laughs> I mean, I guess I could have had conversations with my parents, and at some point, some point in times, we did have some kind of conversations about religion and so on. But um, um, I was an angsty, moody kid too, and probably mm. wasn't as open to it as I should have been. And we didn't have a strong church connection. I I was raised very loosely Catholic, but it wasn't that there wasn't a parish priest or something that I felt close to. Nothing like that. I would say I had some some teachers in school. Mm-hmm. grade school and high school that I felt close with that I did talk about these things with. Mm-hmm. So that was probably useful for me. So during during a very young time in your life then, you witnessed something that was more than just smoke and mirrors. There was some reality to it. There was yeah. this and there there was this process and you were watching this on a daily basis for at least a short period of time or however yeah. pretty much so. And I and I hate to make a big deal out of it because it's certainly not the kind of uh real experience of mortality that a lot of kids have in the world mm-hmm. uh, you know compared to what a lot of people experience it was nothing but somehow it struck me deeply so I think that there's something to be said about rural kids and 
I again, I grew up in the city, but one of the things that I, I have noticed, and I moved here when I was 16, there's just a, a bluntness because they've they've they see all of the cycles to them. Uh, uh, you know, there's for for us in the city, I should say that you're a step you're a step removed from the slaughterhouse. Right. Yep. So it's easy to eat that cheeseburger because you don't see what that go, you know, what the process is to get there. And then a lot of the kids here um, will will be 4-H kids and they'll they'll raise rabbits. And but then the rabbits are put to use. And they go through that entire process without, I think, any shock or maybe maybe there's some grieving if they've gotten close to them emotionally. But it's so interesting to think of of that in terms of of how that would relate to a philosophy based on on the cycle of life. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, very much so. Um, I have noticed that uh, people in the rural area are much less insulated, and mm. I, and I think that is a is a good thing. I mean, not making a statement about what's right or what's wrong but to look that kind of transience and the fragility of life very clearly in the face um i think any deep spiritual inquiry has to start with that Hmm. so So how do you live out your devotion how would others see you living out your devotion and devotion is an interesting word because even from the buddhist standpoint i wouldn't use that word Hmm. yeah so buddhism is a non uh, theistic tradition, okay. Uh, unlike the Abrahamic faiths, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, it's not focused on uh, uh, one creator deity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know th- that kind of sure. basic orientation which we have in Western religion, and which also is deeply in my unconscious, just having been raised here. Sure. Um, so there's certainly devotion, but I would say there's much more a feeling of um, how do I use my life to fulfill its truest potential. Hmm. So from the Buddhist standpoint, we all have the potential to become the same as the Buddha, the historical guy we call Buddha, did, sure. which is to say the ultimate embodiment of wisdom and compassion, the highest human potential. It's not just something that he did. He was just a human. We're human too. So it's something that any of us could accomplish. So, I mean, I have a feeling of devotion towards uh, existence, towards nature, towards people, towards my teachers, but I would say my basic orientation isn't a faith-based one mm-hmm. of worshipfulness. It's, mo- it's much more of a um, practice-based one mm-hmm. of how do I fulfill that potential that I have? How do I not waste my life? Sure. Yeah. Uh, and that's really the Buddhist approach, I would say. How does that manifest in, in when mm. people come to you there at, at the monastery? How do you show that in practice? I try to be completely present. Hmm with them uh with everything that's happening i try to put my full energy into every activity that i do and that's that's are easy words to say to be present to put your full energy and and concentration into everything you do very difficult sure. to do sure not to be stuck or spinning in one's own inner stuff right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, i try to connect with them on a heart level um to us the embodiment of wisdom is compassionate activity uh, so if anything i'm doing in relation to another person or, you know, uh, in, in an encounter with another person, if it's about me, mm-hmm. if it's about my wants, if they become a person, becomes an object of w- fulfilling what I want rather than my taking the role of a servant to them mm-hmm. or someone who could help them, then I know something's off. And I can feel when that shift happens because it happens with all of us. And then my practice is to remain present with that and to go back 
to go back into the basic orientation of I'm a servant for this person. I'm here to help this person. It's not about me at all. So, so you know, being a monastic, being clergy of any kind, I think, is to be the servant to all. Hmm. And if someone comes to the monastery, of course, I'm a teacher, and someone will come in and bow to me. They have a certain respect for me and my position and for the tradition which I carry or which I represent. But if someone comes in as my student and bows to me, I have the feeling I'm bowing to them. Hmm. And I'm there to help them use their life in the best way they can. If I can succeed in that, I have succeeded. If I fail in that, then I take that as a failure of my life, not theirs. Has there ever been anybody that you, you just felt you couldn't make that connection with, that you oh, couldn't reach? Certainly. And there's some, and, you know, there's also the case where certain students and certain teachers might not be suited to each other mm-hmm. for many reasons, uh, even something as basic as their characters just don't match. So I've certainly had people that weren't a good match for me. But I at least want to come away even from those situations feeling like I really did my best to help this person. And if that person doesn't fit me as a teacher, I recommend someone else for them. Hmm. I'll let them continue their path elsewhere. And, you know, there might be another teacher elsewhere, meditation instructor or another monastery that fits them. So that's no problem. How interesting. Yeah. Do you ever question your own strength as far as your ability to live through your practice and, and to show others what you have? Do you ever, it, for Christians, the, the question is, do you ever question your own faith? Mm-hmm. Do you ever have, have those moments of doubting your strength? Every day. And what do you do to work through that? Continue. Continue my own practice. So in one sense, there was one Zen teacher who wrote a book. I don't remember the exact title, but he essentially called it an ongoing lesson in my own stupidity. Hmm. And I would say that any kind of deep spiritual practice, not even Buddhistic, any kind, whether it's Christian or uh, Sufi, you know, Islamic mysticism, anything, anything mm-hmm. where you're looking deeply in yourself and seeing what's there and then peeling away the onion layers of your own so-called self, you're going to see constantly not only your greatest potential, but also your lowest depths. And, uh, and I think all human beings have this incredible potential, what we call the, the Buddha nature in Zen training, the potential to be that greatest embodiment of wisdom and compassion. We also all have completely depraved aspects of us. And mm-hmm. any of any any one of us who doesn't see both of those, we're not seeing the whole picture of sure. what a human being is. Yeah? So so to be to do deep spiritual practice of any kind, I think is to constantly look at that stuff and to look in that mirror of both your shadow side and your so called light side. So the encounters with my shadow side can sometimes be something as simple as um, not saying the kind word when I should have, not putting forth my best effort when I should have. It could be something work, you know, much more deep than that, where mm-hmm. I just lose my temper and, and harm someone with my words, with my speech, you know, hurt them. But then there's the next moment, and the next moment's fresh, and the next moment is a place to return, to be grounded again, and to look at things from a more wise perspective. We can change any moment. So there's always that potentiality either way, but the good news is every moment, which is the only thing we have, you know, there's no past, there's no future. They don't exist except in my mind. <laughs> sure, of there's, course. There's just this present moment, mm-hmm. which also doesn't exist because you try to grab it and it's not there. Right, right. <laughs> the most we can say about the present moment is the place where the future becomes the past. It's not a thing, eh? mm-hmm. but it's an unfolding. And in that moment, there's always the chance to, to transform. I think that's what practice is. It's not Practice isn't succeeding. Practice is returning after you've failed again and again and again. Accepting failure, too. Yeah, and being compassionate with yourself. Hmm. Compassion is not just for others. It's also for this suffering being who is me mm-hmm. and as, is as 
much Buddha and as much depraved <laughs> as any other person, <laughs> and to deconstruct that and and to to look deeply into it. Yeah. Well, if if a pencil doesn't have an eraser, you're never going to draw a line. So yeah. I guess. Uh, knowing that there is the possibility, very real possibility, that you'll make a mistake mm -hmm. means that it's okay as long as you have means in which to correct that. And also pencil has a lead, which is the darkness in the center. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's where the, the real interesting activity comes from, right? <laughs> so to stretch you, to stretch your image. Well, they're making me sound deeper than I probably am. <laughs> when have you seen this work? in other people as working with people when have you seen them reach moments of unawakening when have you seen it work for them oh quite often quite often i mean the practice if it's right, rightly conducted and the practice method meditation practice i'm talking about is prescribed well for the student and sufficient effort is put in you know if, if the different factors come together there is this arrival at a discrete moment of what we call awakening mm -hmm. which is a transcendence or a, a moment of seeing through the false const constructs that we normally uh, are enmeshed within Mm -hmm. uh, so we see that not infrequently and it can be quite profound it can be very deep uh, more often it can be more shallow it can be a, a transformative moment but not a moment which completely cuts through that habit of ignorance but the path continues even after those so-called moments of awakening uh, you can have a quite profound experience of spiritual awakening or a transcendence or a peak experience you know different traditions will call it different things mm -hmm. but then the next moment is there and the question arises okay how do I now live in accord with this? Mm -hmm. How do I deepen it, clarify it, refine it? How do I embody it? Um, the next day I'm uh, yelling at my spouse or something like that mm -hmm. unkindly. And I'm, there's obviously a disconnect between what I experience and my actions. So, sure, sure. So in Buddhism we say that all the actions of your body, your speech, and your mind have to be in accord with the wisdom that you realize. That's the lifetime. Mm -hmm. training that's the part I, I described it as peeling the onion layers away uh, mm -hmm. uh, that does not end in the whole life the term that i've heard over over the years is satori is that is that a correct term that's a, yeah that's a japanese word which essentially means enlightenment or awakening. okay yeah my viewpoint on it and perhaps i'm I, i'm sure that i'm wrong by saying this and i hate to shoot myself in the foot before saying something but i'll say it anyway it's not something it, it, it's achievable but it's not maintainable is that correct like you can find yourself mm -hmm. in a moment of of true enlightenment, and you can be chasing this moment, mm. but it's it's is it possible to live in that? Yes, it is. It and, is. And, and there's another word which we use more commonly than santori, which might be useful here. Um, it's another Japanese word, kensho. Okay. And that word translates as to see your own true nature. So, when we talk about that kind of experience, um, it's not an experience per se. The way that, uh, I don't know, taking a sip of coffee is an experience of taste and then that passes away. It's the arising of a particular kind of knowledge. It's not a conceptual knowledge. It's not a knowledge you can read in a book, but it's an experiential realization that arises within your being, within your mind mm -hmm. and within your body. And it does have lasting change and or causes lasting change, has lasting effect. It doesn't depart from you completely. If it's truly profound, if it goes all the way to the bottom, which we believe was what someone like the Buddha experienced, mm -hmm. very deep awakening, uh, you can be completely finished that work. But for most of us, we don't have that kind of, or such a profound experience. We still have a lot of work afterwards, as I said, to integrate it or to embody it. Mm -hmm. And that's a lifetime of spiritual practice. And that's what the, for example, the schedule and the discipline at the monastery is set up to support. Um, not so different from, for example, what 
contemplatives in Catholic monasteries do. Mm-hmm. They have a reg- regimented life which helps support their faith and their experience of God. We have a similar kind of thing with our practice. Um, so, yeah, it's it's not that enlightenment or awakening itself is transient. It's that we need to deepen it to the point that it cuts through our habit of ignorance sufficiently that we're not as bound up by it as we were. And that's a very possible thing. It's a very doable thing. And the great masters and the saints of the tradition through history, we believe, have done that and exhibited that through their the functioning of their body and their mind and the way they interacted with people. We can read the stories of their lives and we can see that in activity. Where do you feel humanity is in modern times? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, in one sense, like you said, there's a lot of good things going on. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of challenges, environmental challenge, uh, technological challenge, social challenge. We're also at the apogee of human civilization. I mean, I can hop on a plane, go anywhere in the world in hours. Mm-hmm. And when else in human history has that been possible? Mm-hmm. It's a remarkable thing. Or our voices are speaking to each other now, and people anywhere in the world could hear them eventually from your podcast. It's a remarkable, remarkable thing. Sure. Um, so I don't know how it's going to end. There, there, there are the unique challenges, too, with things like technology. You know, when I look at how people walk around staring at their phones, for example, and they're not embodied, they're not present, it's hard to work with someone like that on deep spiritual inquiry when you can't even get them to be present for a moment of walking down the sidewalk. Sure. Right? It's really, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. So, so, you know, we have these challenges. But one of the Zen teachers uh, in our lineage, a Japanese guy, um, someone asked him, he was, he was a somewhat prescient guy, you know, a very intuitive guy. And someone mm-hmm. asked him, oh, what do you think the future of humanity is? And he said, oh, I think we're going, we're getting better. The question is, do we have enough time? Hmm. And I think that might be as, as clear an answer as I could give also. You know, if we can make it through the degradation of the environment and somehow not kill each other in the process, sure. Uh, then I think there's hope for us. Can people with other religious views have a positive impact on humanity and on the world? I think anyone who teaches that our job is to be kind to each other and anyone who can step outside from even from religious view itself and say the most important thing as human beings is that we're compassionate to each other, that will have a positive impact. Um, Religion that becomes dogma, religion that becomes rigid in a fundamentalist manner and that focuses on exclusion rather than inclusion, religion that focuses on judging rather than kindness. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that is no longer true religion, and I don't care what tradition it is. But any religion which could reaffirm those basic principles, which they all purport to hold in common, mm-hmm. you know, do unto others and mm-hmm. be good to each other and love each other, I, I can't imagine that it would do harm. <laughs> we need more of that within the religions themselves. We need more of that really basic emphasis. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, there is some standard of social teaching in, in Buddhism as well, correct? Uh, how do you mean? In, in a sense, um, yes, the golden rule, the do unto others mm-hmm. portion of it, and, 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 and basing on what you put out is what you get back, correct? Mm-hmm. I mean, to, to some extent. Mm-hmm. But then also, too, a certain level of how you should interact with other people. Is, is, that, is that part of the teaching as well, in, in so much as to say that, Let's take it to a, an organized religion where there's certain things that you do that are to the benefit of, of God, whatever the Godhead is at that, for, for that particular religion. In Buddhism, it's for the benefit of all, though, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I 
could say Buddhism is a communal religion. It's mm-hmm. always a religion that has existed in society. It certainly has a strong hermit tradition and all of that, but it's, an exist, it's a religion which always had a strong uh, uh, relationship with community, even with government, mm-hmm. um, with the societies in which it existed. Um, so I guess it has always had an interest in how do we structure society, how do we structure our lives in a way which is most conducive to relieving suffering, most conducive to giving people the chance to to experience wisdom and to be compassionate to each other. Yeah, of course. Um, there is a, a, a more modern sort of trend, uh, in, especially in Western Buddhism, what's called the engaged Buddhist movement, mm-hmm. where Buddhism has engaged with specific social issues, environmental issues, and so on. I wouldn't say there's a basis for that in the tradition, but I would say there is kind of a general, or Buddhism cons- considers its general purview to be, how do we reduce suffering? Mm-hmm. How do we help people? How do we make conditions most conducive for people to live a meaningful life? Um, if you take that as a basic jumping off point, yeah, I guess you could say that that, that exists. Yeah. So in terms of real human tragedies in modern times, what is something that people can hold on to? What can give them hope for the future? You know, what is the future? <laughs> <laughs> We'd never know. Mm-hmm. And if we go back to that, you know, my experience with the deer, which drove home to me so strongly that the basic teaching of Buddhism, which is that everything's transient, no matter what we do, we're, of course, we're all going to die. We know that, mm-hmm. each of us individually. Everything we think is important is going to pass away. Civilizations rise and fall. Planets rise and fall. In the Buddhist teaching, universes rise and fall. There's no permanence or security anywhere in life. We have to take that as the basis of our spirituality um, because it's not even a Buddhist teaching it's a common sense thing we, we can observe on our own there's nothing which lasts or we should say there's nothing which stays the same mm-hmm. Buddhism of today is not the same as Buddhism of a thousand years ago Christianity either right you know all of them have continued to transform so in in a universe where it seems the only thing we can really depend on is that everything's constantly transforming mm-hmm. nothing stays stable secure permanent the same where do we stand no place to stand at all. Sure, sure. <laughs> but there's still existence. We're still here. There's still uh, this basic awareness is functioning. I'm somehow, oddly, I'm a piece of the universe which became aware of itself. Mm-hmm. That's one way to look at it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how do I use that? And I guess the Buddhist answer is use it to get to the bottom of why you're here and use it to, within all of this constant change and suffering, which is unavoidable, how can you help people the most? How can you express the compassionate action towards them to benefit them the most? That's the only answer I could have. Um, I don't know if there's hope for humanity. At some point, at some point, no, they will go away. Mm-hmm. We will go away. A species rise and fall too. Um, there's no idea in Buddhism that humans are particularly special or created as a, 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 a favored being among all creation. In the Buddhist teaching, there's not just this universe, there's endless universes, not just this planet with life, but endless ones. And all of them have beings rotating through them, being reborn and dying again and again and again. But to, I would say the hope is to be born or to manifest as each of us has Mm -hmm. in a time where we have access to the teachings which lead to wisdom. Uh, A time where we have access to the teachings which can enable us to really see through this mystery of existence. That's the most 
fortunate existence possible of all the endless ones <laughs> in all the endless universes. So it may seem like things are really hard here, but uh, from the Buddhist standpoint, we were born in a time when the Buddhist teaching exists, mm -hmm. born in a time when we have the ability to practice it. Uh, so rare, so precious. So nothing to be depressed about <laughs> at all. <laughs> so there's solace in the fact that it's going to change. Everything's going to change. Things may seem tough, but... And Buddhism, too, will go away. The Buddhist teaching predicts its own demise. Yeah. We are drinking the same water the dinosaurs drank. We're, we're bodies are made of the same stuff as the dinosaurs were. <laughs> so, and something else will come after us. Is there anything in this conversation that we haven't touched upon that you would like to? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think um, as soon as we use the word religion, mm -hmm. people automatically can make divisions in their mind. Mm-hmm. Oh, that person's Buddhist, that person's Christian. And I do it too. We, we, we have that habit. But we have to look each other in the eyes and remember that we're, the human part is the most important and that we made these religions. How can we make the connection with each other so that we can fulfill the real mission of all the religions? That to me is the most important thing. Do you think that there are ever people who are truly lost? Not ultimately, not permanently, not... No, not truly. Um, but each of us can go down wrong paths or difficult paths that it's hard to come back from quickly. Um, I don't have the answer for everyone. And there's some people I, I could say to them because of my belief and my experience, all you need to do is sit down, meditate with us, have this experience of, of your basic clarity for once in your life, step outside from your self-fixation and the stuff that you've been spinning around with since you were a kid, just give it a chance. And they just can't. Hmm. And I've, I always feel like it's my failure not to reach someone like that, but somehow, you know, again, from the standpoint of the Buddhist teaching, we just say the, the conditions just aren't there. And sometimes that's mysterious. We don't know why. I would, it's not because the person is doomed or cursed or something <laughs> sure. like that, right? Sure. But we can't see the beginnings of everything and we can't see the ends of everything. All we can deal with is the patterns that are there in front of us now. So all we can do is do our best. I guess that was what I, all I could say to anyone is just do your best, but try to do it with clarity and try to step outside from the usual stuff that you spin in. There are ways to do that, to step out from that stuff. That's to me is the strength of the Buddhist tradition as it has those methods. Mato, if anybody listening to this podcast would like to get in touch with you, if they have further questions that I haven't brought up or uh, want to elaborate any further upon some of the topics that we've discussed here, how can they get in touch with you? So our website is uh, koringi.org, which is www.koringi.org. That's our monastery and also our Zen community. And if they email to that website, they'll reach me. So I'm happy to uh, talk to anyone. Terrific. Thanks yeah. so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Hey everybody, this is Alex. This is Lori. And this episode of the Kettle and Cup, oh gosh, it's not the Kettle and Cup podcast, hasn't been that for a long time. The Porter Notes podcast. Uh, yeah. Uh, included an interview with Mato Moore, who is a Buddhist abbot at the Karinji Rinzai Zen community. And it is a really awesome place. 
uh, just in the hills outside of Reedsburg, Wisconsin. And if you've gotten this far, then you heard Mado talking about it and talking about the things that they do there, which is uh, really, really cool. He invited us out there. And unfortunately, just after meeting with him and doing an interview, we went into lockdown because of the COVID-19 virus. Right. But I intend on going out there. Oh, me too. As soon as, uh, as soon as we can. I listened to the interview and some of the things that they teach out there would benefit a lot of people during this quarantine. I think so too. Just to be able to calm the mind and, and meditate for a while and maybe work through some of, uh, some of the fears that you might have right now or concerns internally, finding some sort of peace. And one of the things I found interesting in our conversation was there's always going to be concerns. There's always going to be rough times. There's always going to be good times. There's always going to be a balance of both. But the important thing to know is that everything will eventually pass. One of the things that I liked in the interview I don't appreciate our area as much as I should. Part of it's because I hate winter. Right. <laughs> and right now we're not in winter, but it was a refreshing view on how beautiful this area is and how he was drawn to this area because of the natural beauty. So if you're looking for a means in which to get in touch with Mado. The Karinji Rinzai Zen community has a Patreon page, and you can actually go there. And a lot of the things that he has on Patreon, he has now made available to the public. You don't have to be a patron to view a lot of the things that he has on there. So check it out. He's a really great guy, really good speaker. If you've Again, if you've listened to the podcast today, then you've heard as much. Uh, I don't like to say this, but I'm going to say this right now. Usually everything makes it into the podcast. Oh. There was some stuff that didn't make it into the podcast, and not because of the content of the conversation. I like to make sure that the mics are on whenever I have somebody here, and then I'll turn it off. I'll turn the the recorder off, and, and we'll sit and we'll gab for a little while. And the chat that Mado and I had afterwards without having the mics in front of us, was really warm and friendly and nice. And I really wish some of that was recorded because it was very relaxed. Unfortunately, it wasn't. But I want to convey further from the interview how much I appreciate him taking his time coming here. And and he was the last person down here for an interview. And taking that opportunity because I did have a lot of questions that I felt in the midst of those questions like, oh, he's probably heard this a million times or he's probably had to explain this a a thousand times. But he never made it feel as though it wasn't worth his time. And spending time with me afterwards, just talking and just getting to know each other was really nice too. So if you have the opportunity to go there or to communicate with him or to check out their Patreon page, do so. It's really great. I mentioned that he was the last person in the studio for an interview, which is true. I've Since then, I had done an interview with Teresa Zolzinski, who is a registered nurse at the Reedsburg ER. 
And in that conversation, we talked about COVID-19, which was pretty new at that time. There were a lot of questions. I think that a number of those questions have found answers, but just the same. I think there's still a lot of questions. There sure are. And we recommend going to the CDC website, the Center for Disease Control. It's a great place to go and get information. And it's impartial and it's up to date. So we recommend that for sure. And as strange as it is, I'm looking at doing more interviews now remotely. Even people who are local, I intend to talk to remotely just because it's kind of the place we're at right now. Well, and you learned via that interview that you could do them, Mm -hmm. the phone. How did you do it? Through the phone? Yes, it was through Facebook Messenger, and I just routed the audio. So there's video at the time so that you could look at each other and have that conversation, but there's no video that's stored. It's just the audio that's recorded. Sure. That was a a, a new thing for me. You have an interview coming up with a rabbi that you're doing via phone or Facebook Messenger. Yes, I, I think that one we're going to do FaceTime, and it's, yes, with uh, Rabbi Forrester of the Beth Israel Center in Madison, Wisconsin. So that should be something interesting. And again, as part of this ongoing series with Faith in Modern Times, which has taken a really interesting twist mm-hmm. since lockdown and, and since uh, self-quarantine, social distancing, so, yeah, that's that's going to be coming up, and that should be the next podcast that comes out. So pretty timely. And then you're coming back to a local person to have an interview with after that. Yes, and, and that's the funny thing is that it's somebody who's just uh, honestly down the block from us here. So really I, local. Yeah, but I'm, I'm still going to go ahead and, and do the interview via technology just so that everybody stays safe. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we, we are a multi-generational family here, and my parents are here, and I think we've mentioned that uh, before, but they're both going to be 79 years old, and so we're, we're limiting ourselves. We're, we're, we're really taking it serious to make sure that they stay safe. That's, that's all part of being a, a family together. We also have a new grandbaby that's going to be born any day that we're staying healthy for so that we can help with big sister and hopefully get to hold the little one without having any issues health-wise. For sure. So that's that's part of why we're doing it. Everybody has their own reasons and everybody has their own ideas on things, but a lot of what we've researched, we're going to just continue to be diligent in making sure that we're healthy and we do the things to keep ourselves healthy and, and to keep others around us healthy as well. Well, especially we've talked about this via other people ourselves but we just don't want to get sick no no (laughs) i hate being sick matter of fact i'm kind of a grumpy bear when i'm sick and you're kind of a grumpy bear towards (laughs) other people who are sick too now let me let me just clear that up a little bit if you're really really sick like you have something that you could not control whatsoever 
I can be a great caretaker. But when it's things like man flu, I get impatient. Well, I take issue with the term man flu because (laughs) I've been around a lot of people, men and women, who have really strong reactions to not feeling well. <laughs> Let me just say that. So it's 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 not always men. This whole uh, idea of man flu isn't necessarily, uh, you know, that doesn't really... Yes, I've probably offended some men that listen now. Yeah, yeah that doesn't really cut it with me, but... <laughs> so I'm sorry for offending. I... I, it even is my the, downfall. Even the very concept of somebody being sick makes you angry. It does. Yeah, it is I a know. downfall of mine. I know. And, and so, you know, and, and I've, I've witnessed you help take care of people who are recovering from surgery and, and uh, who are, you know, in, in, in a really bad way. And it's true. You, you have, you're, you're capable of, of being very warm and comforting, but a person needs to be like at death's door for that to happen. I wouldn't go that far, but mm, pretty much. Yeah. I do it is like the oil on the hands, the candles are lit. <laughs> and I, and there's demons in the room <laughs> that that need to be fought off. And, I have you know, a different tolerance for different illnesses. <laughs> you're there for that. You've got the, 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 the shiny silver sword and you're you're there, but but short of that like, you know, you get a sniffle, forget it. Yeah. You are quarantined to the bedroom and That's it. They don't fight talk the demons on your own. <laughs> wow. Okay. This is beat up Lori today. Well, it's not really. <laughs> I, I, it's just something that I've come to understand over the last 10 plus years that, you know, and, and it probably makes everybody else stronger for that reason. Well, I love you and I, I will try to be better <laughs> no 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 it's it's not about that <laughs> anyway so well you I, know we're talking about quarantine i am sorry quarantine i am sorry for using the term man flu but you can use it in terms describe other people <laughs> that's okay they can they can you know some people maybe do have the man flu when it's me you know i'm oh my gosh, I am on the way out. I have one foot in the grave and the other foot on a banana peel. And, and you know, I, I, I couldn't be more serious at that moment. So And now some people understand. Okay, so back to COVID. <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about things that you can do during lockdown. We have done a lot. Not to blow our own horns. Well... These are projects that I've been wanting to do for some time. Sure. And we got a lot done. Those of you who know where we are and where we live, you can probably come by, visit, you know, socially responsibly. But you can at least see some of the things we've done outside of the house, which has been some things we've been here for. Oh, my goodness. We have been here for 10 years this uh, Yeah, I was going to say 9 or 10. And we have talked about so many of these things that we're getting done now that I feel really good about it. Painted the fence, stained our decks. We're going to hopefully get a deck built yet. Yes, yes, we've got our guy. That we that. are having help with. Mm-hmm. Landscaping was my big project that I was kind of afraid to tackle. But now that it's done, I'm glad it's done. I understand why landscapers get paid the money they do because it is back-breaking work. 
Yeah, it, it sure is. And I also understand why landscapers want healthy young people working for them, too. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> because they're the ones that can actually do that stuff. But nonetheless, we did do it, and I love it. It looks it's beautiful, and I'm happy about it. It's very early in spring. If anybody's listening to this podcast in the future, it's very early in spring. So a lot of the things that we've done in the landscaping in front of our home and alongside of our home and alongside of our fence is on a just-wait-and-see basis. It's kind and, of sparse right now. Right. We know it's going to be great, but it's it's hard to kind of visualize that at this moment because everything is... and 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 really, when it comes to landscaping, the first part, which is clearing all of that away, that's a challenge in and amongst itself. I have to thank my uncle. He came in with his rototiller and really helped us out with that. For sure. A lot of things uh, you guys ripped out, you and Xander ripped out a lot of big bushes and big plants and stuff like that. I really got underneath them and, and pulled them out. That's a big part of it, too, is is the prep work. I mean, you can't really, you can't really overstate what an undertaking like this is until you've gotten in there. I mean, I was I was involved mostly in in the plant purchasing, <laughs> and I did kind of busy myself with a few projects like building some outdoor benches and things like that. But when it comes to like really getting down into it, and I did build some in our backyard. I did build some uh, slab stairs to go down from the upper area of our backyard into the lower area of our backyard. And, you know, when you're down and you're getting into it, and, and part of the great thing about right now, if you really want to look at it in a positive way, is that you don't really have to pay attention to the clock. I mean, you can get out and get started as soon as you feel comfortable getting started and you feel like it's warm enough to get to get outside. And it's not as though you need to get back inside for anything. You know, just when it gets dark or whenever you're comfortable doing so. And that, that really allows you this opportunity to kind of focus at the ta- on the task at hand a lot better than, oh, well, I've only got till 5 o'clock to get this done. Well, and on that note, I'm, there are definitely things that we do miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, we miss band members and gigging and being out with family and friends for dinner and many things that we are not doing right now, but we're making the best of what we have right now, and we're getting a lot done. Right, right. When we talk about the positive effects of what's happening right now, that doesn't throw out the baby with the bathwater. We're not saying, oh, this is much better than how things used to be, and oh, am I glad that we're not doing any of this stuff any longer. There are some things that that we've excised from from our day-to-day life uh, that I'm, I'm fine with boy, we really spent a lot of time doing this or watching that or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yes, this is by no means a, a substitute for the things and people that we love to spend time with and love to spend time doing right. you know, together. I, I will continue to drive you, though, during this time to to get more done so that those projects are done and when things are lifted and safe to go back to or whatever it looks like. Right. Um, then those things are done and we can go and have our fun and and still enjoy what we did. That's the thing too. We don't know how things are going to reintegrate into everybody's lives. We don't know how 
everybody's going to, uh, I don't foresee it as being a, like some sort of checkpoint gate that swings open and everybody can, no. can go running through. It's, it's, and I don't know. I, I have no idea. I guess one of the things that people talk about is learn from the past, right? So maybe we can do some investigation into the 1918 Spanish flu and see how some of that went. I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but there there are some lessons that we've learned and again taking that positive spin right now there are some things that we've learned as far as you know placing some importance on on family relationships and on on spending time together and the things that we do miss realizing how important it was to us then like wow i you know i i really took for granted being able to go out Friday when I didn't have a gig and see my friend Steve's band or I really took took it for granted that when there was a free weekend and we could have gone somewhere that we didn't do that sort of thing now mind you money is always an issue this is true but not not having the ability to do some of the things that that we took for granted are really going to prioritize those things for us again in the future which segues a little bit into your interview with Mado, looking at things and prioritizing things and realizing what's important. One of the takeaways I got from, from sitting and speaking with him was that it's okay to recognize the bad in things. And that is a balance that we have with the good in things. So people have a good side, people have a bad side. It's it's everything. And 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 there's an upside and a downside to situations as well. Recognizing that that those things exist and not having a personal stake in them. Not wallowing in them. Yeah, not saying, "Oh, I only ever have bad luck or I only ever have bad things happen." And I think part of that is is recognizing the the beauty or the good that's in things too. People talk about failing forward or learning a lesson from the things that that have happened that have gone wrong. Now mind you, I'm I'm a big one for thinking that the world revolves around me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also I, you could probably agree to this. I'm setting you up to agree to this, mm-hmm. but uh I'm not a why me person. No, I I really do feel like there are times that are tough times, and there are situations that I've come across that are that are hard, and I just look through that to when things are going to be better, what I can do to to make that happen, and that was a real eye opener in terms of of the conversation with Mado. Taking, I mean, he had said that that having an ego, some ego, is is healthy, which I'd always thought that. Mm-hmm. It was about breaking down your ego and just kind of having this this oneness, but but it's 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 more than that. It's it's having that oneness, but still not losing yourself as an individual. I do recall that part of the interview, and I thought that was interesting, also. So it's in, it's intriguing to me that we both tapped into that. Some ego is good, and if you don't have some ego, that is a little suspicious. Then. Yeah, it's it's just not healthy. Right. And and I appreciated that he shared that having some ego is is I appreciated that he shared that teaching 
that having an ego is not a bad thing. It's how you use that ego that matters. Don't let it get out of control. Right. So another thing that I would like to take a moment to talk about during this this time is there's a lot of people who, particularly artists, musicians, who are having a hard time because their outlet isn't what it used to be. So there's musicians who, and and I'll throw myself into this, uh, had counted on this summer and the shows and going out and playing and meeting people and selling merchandise and making money from the venue owners. We just don't know where any of those things are going to be in the future, of course. And not everybody is going to come out of this ready to go in terms of music venues and 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 establishments there's they've been going through this right along with the rest of us not making any money also so when people are performing online you'll see that they'll have venmo tip jars and and paypal addresses and things like that and i'm just taking a moment to recommend that you show people your appreciation for what they do and the craft that they've been working on and yes it is it is a a business but they their thing is that they're pushing hard to get art and culture out to everybody even in these times when you can't really get out and get to it anymore so i would like to just take a moment and and thank artists who are doing this sort of thing and and recommend that those who are listening to partake in giving back a little bit i know it's tough but if you would have normally put five dollars in a tip jar seeing a band at a bar you could still do that even in these remote times Mm -hmm. electronically yes and it, it it's never been more clear how much that interaction between artist and audience is important because, and more than monetarily, when we talk musicians, when we talk about missing being on stage, it's it's part of who we are. It's part of what what drives us. It's kind of the backbeat behind the heartbeat for a lot of us. And so not being able to have that complete closure in the artist's circle from inception to performance to acceptance, it it feels kind of lonely and it feels kind of empty. So take the time to let artists and musicians out there who you know and appreciate, let them know that, that you do appreciate them. Well, and I know that I knew meeting you that Music was never going to be something that you would give up. And I was never going to ask you to give up because I enjoy it as much as you do, just on a different level. And I know that it's hard to not see your bandmates because they become your family. They become your friends and, you know, you establish a a brotherhood with them. and. So you're missing each other as much as you're missing the music. Yeah, that's... And the performance. That's for sure. That's for sure. So, yeah, I I didn't mean to jump on a soapbox about that sort of thing, but... And it's not easy. The technology is not easy for a lot of people. And 
it's also a challenge sometimes to think outside of the what you're seeing is somebody sitting on a couch playing an acoustic guitar or something like that. I I get it, but it it it's they've got to get it out. So it's good that they have the opportunity to do that sort of thing. And and I just uh I wanted to say to other musicians out there that that I understand. I understand that it's more than just missing that that extra, you know, three four hundred dollars a week. Well, it's, for some people, they don't have the bandmates; they're solo artists, so their audience is their extended family in a sense, mm-hmm. and they're not getting to see those people and and be around those people. And you you feed off from that; you get energy from that; you get emotional acceptance from that and it's hard sitting at home not getting those vibes of energy from people for sure so hang in there yeah do it do it let people know and and that extends to family members and 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 friends and uh grade school buddies and uh former work compatriots and and people who you just know because you know them through social media we're all doing it as best we can right now and just let everybody else know that you're there even if you see somebody that you have on your friends list that you just haven't seen much from them lately you don't have to do anything publicly you can just send them a message and say hey i'm thinking about you wondering if you're in good health and and how are you doing and those of you at home it's been a while now. It's been probably pretty close to six weeks, I think, for most people. Mm-hmm. If you need to get outside and go for a walk, if you need to... Go for a drive. You can do that. You can do that safely. You're not stuck. And the people who are there in the home with you, they're, they're your loved ones. So if it means that you need to get away for a little while just so that you can listen to something different, kind of clear your head out a little bit, uh, meditate, you know, do what you need to do in order to kind of get your feet back on the ground again. It's okay. It's okay to do that stuff, and it's okay for you to get frustrated. I mean, there's a lot of unknown stuff right now, but remember that the people that are around you care about you, and they're just as uh, out of sorts right now as you are. So, it's okay to 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 uh prioritize uh you know letting off some steam appropriately and and doing the right thing by by yourselves your friends and neighbors. These are challenging times and I recently posted something about the challenges and along with what you're saying you know parents are not teachers and they don't know how to get kids through their schoolwork and have them understand what quarantine means. And it's, it's been challenging having little ones that are grandkids to teenager to understand that this is bigger than them. And how, how do you explain to a five-year-old that they can't go play at the park that we're walking by? Right. Right. How do you explain to a teenager that, they can't go see their friends that are healthy. And that they've always been able to see in the past. And especially, you know, teenagers just kind of get a mind of their own and do what they want. So 
these are challenging times and we're all struggling with it. And none of us know how to parent through a pandemic because no. none of us have ever been alive during <laughs> a pandemic yeah. or our parents or our grandparents. So right. we're all struggling and learning and anything that you can put out there that could be helpful to somebody else, do it. Here's something that's kind of a positive thing to think of, and that is that though it might not have been in our grandparents' lifetime to have uh, survived through the 1918 Spanish flu, it might have been great-grandparents, guess what? They did it because you're here. Mm-hmm. And we'll do it too. Maybe not all of us together. But let's try and make sure it is all of us together, or as many of us as we possibly can. So think about other people the same way that you would think about yourself and care for other people the same way that you would want to care for yourself. And your family. And your family. And we'll all get through this. It's going to take time, and it's going to be a new thing when we get to the other side. But that's okay, because that's what life is, is change. Again, going back to what Mado said, you know, everything, everything will change. Everything will be different. Mm-hmm. Everything, even mm-hmm. Buddhism won't be Buddhism anymore. Everything, that's what life is. Life is about change. We're just in one of those moments right now that we can honestly recognize that this change is happening and we can, we can really benefit from this if we, if we have the correct mindset for this. Absolutely. So the next podcast hopefully will be out really soon and that should be my interview with Rabbi Forrester. And if anybody out there has any questions for us, please feel free to drop us an email. You know how to do that. Send us a message on Messenger. If you have any suggestions for future topics, I think after Rabbi Forrester and uh, I think I'm going to be able to sit down, well, virtually sit down with uh, uh, Father David over at Sacred Heart Catholic Church here in Reedsburg. That'll probably probably wrap up the series that we're working on, and then we'll get back to some of our other topics. The travel one is going to be a little interesting. <laughs> we'll just have to recount some of our <laughs> travel escapades over the past years, which is fine. We can do that. We've got well, plenty of stories. We're hopefully going to have some travels, and they will be interesting because I'm sure the travel industry is going to be drastically different because Mm -hmm. of this yes yes and again in saying what we had about there are still things that are available to you yes travel in the broad sense is is a little bit of a challenge right now but you can still manage to go for a drive and drive through one of the parks and as long as you're maintaining social distancing you know get out and, and and enjoy the green grass and and it is surely beautiful right now it's spring is in 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 the air as they say so, yeah, it's going to be different. It's going to be different, but different isn't always bad. Be kind. So with that, I'm Alex. I'm Lori. And we'll talk to you again soon. 